photography lovers and welcome to 2020 with us, the Fashion Photography Podcast. My name is Virginia Y. I'm your host and I'm also so excited for today's episode because it's been a while ever since we recorded it and I'm really excited to share it with you because I adore the guests that we're having today and I think also the topics that we're discussing are going to be of a great help for you guys. She is a photographer, but she's having previous experience from working in a modeling agency. What exactly was her mission there? You're going to find out today, along with topics like photographing the most amazing test, because let's be honest, who is the most perfect guest to ask this question? How to get in touch with a modeling agency? Of course, another question right up her alley and how to make smooth transition from 9 to 5 job to a freelance career. And it's not just a regular career. She's booming in the social media, and she's nailing the most amazing campaigns out there. At the moment we recorded the podcast, she was still based in London. But right now, when you're listening to the podcast, she have moved to the US. And I bet this is going to be a whole new conversation. And in case she's willing to come back as a guest, I would love to have it. This conversation is the very first for 2020, but it's also absolutely full of insights. If you want to hear more of our episodes, don't forget to go to photographypodcast.net where you can find all of our previous episodes and you can enjoy them just like you can enjoy today's episode. Hi, I'm Hannah Hillier. I'm a fashion and beauty photographer. I live in London and I work a lot in New York and LA shooting beauty campaigns, fashion campaigns, and I work a lot in the music industry as well. Were you born in the UK? Yes, I was born in London, but then my parents moved to the outskirts of London. So I lived there for a while. Then as soon as I was 18 and could move out, I moved straight back to London. And I've been working sort of ever since. Do you have any photography background in your education? Uh, when I was at school, I always had a strong passion for art. When I was younger, I wanted to be a fashion designer. And then I wanted to be an architect. And then I wanted to be like a painter. And then while I was studying art, we did a photography module during that module, I discovered love of photography. So then I started studying photography as a subject at school, then went on to go to university. And I did one year of fashion styling and photography at London College of Fashion. And then after that, I dropped out, did a few internships with magazines and bits and pieces. And I worked at Next Model Management. I was only about 19, 20 years old. So I started as an intern and then they ended up hiring me full time for about a year. And I learned a lot about the ins and outs of the fashion industry and how everything works, how to be professional, how to send emails, how to use Photoshop, how to use Bridge and Quark and all these other programs. So I learned a lot in a short amount of time and they were really nice there. And next, were you working as a booker? I started working evenings and weekends while I was working at Next doing photo shoots and freelance bits and stuff like that. And I eventually saved up enough money from working evenings and weekends to go freelance. I had a few thousand saved 
And then um, I bit the bullet and went freelance when I was about 21 years old. Mm-hmm. And then I've been freelance ever since, so for about eight, almost eight years now. My name was Imaging Assistant. So I worked in the imaging department, which is where you did the models books and updating the website and printing things and fixing the printer. Also doing other things for the bookers, like the bookers would want me to add these pictures to the website, update girls' books, and also um, print off certain photos or organize all the files. And also if a test shoot came in, like a photographer did a test shoot, I would download those files, make sure that they were in the girls' folder. I learned a lot about filing that, which has proved to be very helpful now (laughs) because they had a really good filing system of how all the girls' images were all organized. And when you clicked on a model under a certain department, it came up with the model's name or alphabetical order. You click on the girl's name and, yeah, it's a very good filing system. Oh, we're definitely going to talk about filing systems later on. But it also sounds like it was a great start of your career, because I bet that when you went freelancing, you already knew what all of the agencies want for their models as test shoots, right? Yeah, I learned a lot about exactly what they want. So yeah, when I went freelance, especially in terms of doing paid testing with agencies, I knew, okay, they want the images to look natural makeup and clear and pretty sort of simple but sleek styling Mm -hmm. not too many bright colors no logos that kind of thing just very classic and authentic images that wouldn't date easily what were the most common mistakes that you have seen from photographers doing test shoots um a lot of the time they would put sunglasses on as much as it looks cool they probably shouldn't have sent those ones into the agency because obviously you can't see the girl's face Mm -hmm. or like a lot of care over the face. Yeah, I guess like crazy clothing. Um, But also I look back and I look at all the things that I did when I started out and I just think, oh God, it was so bad. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm so happy that I've learned a lot over the last several years. Maybe you can help us because the podcast is mainly educational. So Mm -hmm. do you think that together... Maybe we can spot some specific questions that the upcoming photographers that are trying to get into the fashion industry, they're probably doing tests at the moment. So how can we help them with such little tips like, as you said, not having too much hair in front of the model space, also not putting sunglasses. I would also add, don't go too crazy with some prisms and things between the camera and the model yeah mm-hmm. yeah for sure testing is a great opportunity because depending on the time you have you can do the stuff for the agency and then you can do something more creative as long as the model doesn't have to run off to a casting it's a great opportunity to be able to play around with things like that I and mean, it's definitely worth doing the ones for the agency first getting the supernatural makeup glossy skin brushed up brows very cool. It depends what they want because sometimes they want more commercial stuff and sometimes they want cooler stuff. But definitely doing buy and returns is really useful from brands or rummaging around in your friend's closets and seeing if you can borrow some pieces for shoots and then just getting some really cool outfits together, seeing what works on the model. And also sometimes, especially if you're just studying, maybe have the booker on WhatsApp and text them photos Mm -hmm. of the outfit. I did this recently because they needed very specific things. So 
yeah, send the bookers photos of the outfits and they can sort of approve them or be like, oh, we love this dress, but maybe not with these shoes and bits and pieces like that. And just making sure everything is just sort of beautiful and timeless. It can be hard because I think one of the things I struggled with at the beginning was I had a lot to do and not much time. I was barely sleeping (laughs) because I booked in so much work because I wanted to pay the rent and in London it's expensive. So I think I potentially should have booked myself a few more breaks just between a few different jobs and shoots to sort of sit down and reevaluate things and look at the new trends and figure out, okay, let's shoot this and let me go get some more bits for this. And I feel like sitting down to evaluate things could have made my work a bit stronger because I think there were various times where I probably took on too much at once. Also, it's really fun when you're testing to explore your area, explore where you live, find out where the makeup artist that you've got lives and explore around there and just see if there's any cool spots to shoot. Because then when you are shooting, you can have those all in mind and you can be like, oh, let's just go around the corner and do this or let's play around with this. And as much preparation as possible is always good. It's always a great advice now to stay always in the studio. So that Mm -hmm. was a great tip. Only if it is good weather, which in London (laughs) is often (laughs) raining all the time. So it's definitely good to have a good studio option Mm -hmm. as a backup, for sure. What about the people that are not yet in conversation with agencies? Do you have some tips for them? How to get in touch with an agency? What to say, what not to say? Most agencies, first of all, they want to see your work. They want to be able to tell that you're a good photographer and you know what you're doing and stuff like that. What you can maybe do is... You can find email addresses on Instagram or through the websites, but you could also maybe pop into the agency with your portfolio. But just expect them to be like, oh, we don't have time to see you right now. Maybe come back later or maybe just have a really quick portfolio and you can just show them through. Okay, this is my 20 strongest images. You can always email stuff in, but often it might be better to just pop in quickly, but just be really polite and they don't have time you know they're very busy people so they may not have time but often they won't respond to the general email some agencies are really good with it some agencies I think they just get so many emails it's hard for them to go through everything Mm -hmm. but yeah definitely try and send in your work or go and show your work in your portfolio make sure that you have nice clean strip back type of images and often you can see what they're looking for if you go on their new faces page of the website you can go through the new faces portfolios and you can normally tell it's a test if it doesn't have that little writing in the corner that sort of shows where the outfits are from and stuff like that. If it looks more like test or if a few girls have got something that looks marginally similar, it's probably a test, especially if they're quite new. And you can then see, oh, okay, they like this. They put them in their book. Let me see what I have that, you know, isn't the same, but isn't a similar level because then you can kind of judge what the agencies like a bit better. Perfect. And tell us more about your transition from steady desk job to a freelancing job, because, whoa, I bet it was hard. Yeah, it's definitely something that is a tricky transition, which is why I tried to make, you know, be able to save up for like a couple of months buffer. And I went into it fully going hard with all the work and just doing as much as I could, saying yes to everything. At the time, I was really young, so I had a lot of energy. (laughs) I don't know if I could do it the same now, but yeah, it was great. It was a really good experience. I learned a lot. And I think you have to be open to learning and you have to be open to taking criticism. 
especially if the criticism is coming from somebody at an agency or some kind of fashion place that you respect, you have to definitely be open to taking all the criticism. Don't take it to heart, though, because, you know, the criticism isn't about you. It's about your work. And you'll probably say the same thing when you look back on it from the future. Just trying to work as much as possible, trying to spend as little money as possible. <laughs> it's easy for me. It was just me by myself. I didn't have a boyfriend at the time. I didn't have any kids. I don't have any kids now still, but like, you know what I mean? You know, it's always yeah. more hard for that. I guess my advice would just be just to really work. And if someone doesn't reply to an email, email them again at a different time of day, message them on Instagram. Don't be like a stalker, but definitely try more than once. And again, just don't take anything personally. I get thousands of emails and I don't respond to a lot of them because I just don't have the time. Doesn't mean that I hate everyone I don't respond to, but <laughs> not everyone. <laughs> <laughs> just really hustle. I think that's the key word. It's just hustling. With Instagram, it's amazing now because you've got all these contacts just at your fingertips. You know, you've got LinkedIn, you've got all these different places and people that you can hit up. And what's great is to work with makeup artists and hairstylists and stylists that are same level as you. But also, I've never assisted. So I sort of missed that step. I think because I worked at Next and I was doing so much paid testing, which was going on back then for a variety of different agencies, whereas now agencies don't do that as much. Some of them do, but some of them don't. You have to be quite, I think, special to get that. But it depends. Every agency across the world is different. So it really depends on the situation. I think assisting goes a lot to the fact that you go there to learn something and you've had the same experience at Next. So I don't think you've yeah. lost much. However, you mentioned Instagram, you mentioned traveling, mm -hmm. and I'm very fascinated about this and I really want to talk to you about it. But before that, I think we should take the chronological steps. Um, first, take a look at the, the moment when you became a freelancer. Tell us about the biggest difficulties that you had in terms of organizing documents, things like this. Were there a place that you were looking for some help? Can we ask someone for help during this process? Yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, luckily, Facebook was quite big at the time when I was starting out. So I'd often just put a Facebook status up. Like, does anyone know an accountant? And like my friend's friend like knew somebody and then you just kind of have to learn it all and you, I think there's a lot of growing and a lot of learning that happens when you first go freelance and I know every country is different and does their taxes differently yeah. but I'd say number one if you're going freelance is keep all of your receipts <laughs> don't throw any of them away and try and be organized because what I did was I just put them all in a bag and then at the end of the year I went through them all, which is kind of still what I do. And I need to work on that. But I'd advise anyone else that's just starting to put them in months, <laughs> put the bags in months, mm -hmm. just keep them organized. And there's loads of apps you can get now where you just photograph the receipts and then it sort of automatically does it. But yeah, definitely try and be on top of your finances. And if anything is an investment, I would say go for it, but be sensible. I love taking educated risks. I'm totally down for a risk, but it can't be a crazy risk. So how I did it back then. So yeah, I left next. And then I was doing paid model testing alongside. And also what I still do now, and I think what a lot of people do, is from Instagram paid testing. So a lot of models will get in touch with you about shooting from Instagram. 
lots of them will pay. So you just have to say to them like, oh, I do this and it's £100 for some headshots or it's £200 for this and stuff like that. And then often you can get paid testing from Instagram. So it doesn't necessarily need to be through agencies. But what I started doing back then, this is about a few months after I left working at Next Model Management. I then started, because the agencies knew me, they then got me to shoot some of their like more celebrity board people. And once your name starts getting out there and some makeup artists work for brands that you work with and, you know, everyone sees your work on other people's pages, which is still relevant today. Then a few brands found me and a few people that went to the same uni that I was at or just were in the same circles, started working for brands and they would say my name. So then I got a few campaigns and stuff from that. So I started transitioning into getting a few small campaigns here and there through sort of startup clothing companies and friends of friends that I knew who aunties were setting up clothing companies and jewelry companies. And I did a lot of jewelry things. And then eventually Instagram was becoming more of a thing. So I was getting a lot of work from there. Started shooting a few editorials for smaller magazines and stuff. My first cover, which was actually my first editorial in general, I shot the cover of Suitcase magazine. That was in about 2013, probably. And that was amazing. Worked with some amazing people on that. And luckily, I think I got that because the photographer was ill or something. And they needed a replacement, but luckily they used me. So that was great. From there, I then ended up working a lot with the Gentleman's Journal. And I did a lot of editorials for them. And then I ended up, yeah, just doing some more London-based brands, jewelry brands, sunglasses brands, fashion brands. And I learned a lot and I learned quickly and I started getting a few assistants in, helping to do the lighting. And I shot for like Now magazine and some of those other ones, the more sort of weekly magazines, did some more things for that. And then it just slowly transitioned into getting bigger and bigger jobs. And then I phased out the testing because it was now shooting more lookbooks and campaigns and stuff and editorials. So I didn't need to do as much testing, but I always love to do testing even still today. But it's not necessarily the paid ones. It, me and a makeup artist really want to shoot a certain look and we'll make a mood board because I think it's always important to have Instagram content and also just to be creative and to do what we love to do, which is just make art, not necessarily have any rules to follow. Because if you just post jobs, you're just posting sort of other people's visions and you're not necessarily posting your own vision. So I think it's good to have a mix and just show that you can do studio, you can do daylight, but also it's good to have a niche. So it's trying to like find that niche, but also work and be able to challenge yourself and do different setups and that kind of thing. I bet that it wasn't just luck all the way, right? <laughs> it was lots of work, as you said. So I was wondering, maybe you did some marketing during this process. Luckily, I didn't. A lot of people do, and I still need to be working on my SEOs, but I mainly just did Instagram. And also, since Instagram has been more big, slide into some DMs, message people. If you really like the brand, if you really like the model, if you really like the makeup artist, DM them or comment under one of their pictures and just be like, hey, I'd love to work with you. And more often than not, they'll reply and then you can create some work together. 
Yeah, I've never done a specific marketing. I always try and make sure my website is up to date and always try and make sure my Instagram has like a good range of things on it. I did one time I did the paid Instagram post where I paid like, I think it was like £3.50 or something. And I know a lot of people do that. But because I already have 30,000 followers or so, it costs like £200 or something to get 10,000. And I'm like, well, I already have 30,000. Like, how much (laughs) am I paying here? Like, I knew a lot of my friends were doing it. And I think it works if you have a good amount of budget to spend on marketing, then I think it does work. But it's difficult. If I had enough money, then I would probably do it more. It's a hard one to do. And sometimes what I know a lot of people do on Instagram is they'll have Instagram group. I think some models do it and some other like makeup artists and people do it where they'll post each other's stuff on their stories just to try and circulate more and get different people following different people. So I think a lot of people do that, which is a nice community way of doing it so that different people can see your work. But it can be awkward if you're rivals. You don't really see five photographers that all have similar work advertising each other. Yeah. But at the same time, I'm not quite sure that Instagram is tolerating this at the moment, but Instagram is so yeah. crazy lately, so <laughs> we cannot exactly. be sure about anything. Mm-hmm. Still, marketing can be paid, but it can be also exactly what you did. So I yeah. would say that there is marketing in your strategy because posting and updating people with what you do is so amazing yeah. and so valuable and so important nowadays. And yeah. there is actually this conversation that I I am part of lately. It is about the past and nowadays. And in the past, we were submitting to magazines, reaching out to magazines, yeah. asking magazines. And today, mm-hmm. everyone is just posting on social media. Yeah. Now you have this awesome platform and you don't really need a middleman to make sure that you will reach the people that are interested in your work. Exactly. And I think that's incredible. You know, social media obviously has lots of pros and lots of cons, but I think the cons are so amazing in in the way that we can just directly message brands and brands can directly message us. If we have enough knowledge of how to produce and set up shoots, you know, there doesn't really need to be a middle person as such. But sometimes with bigger jobs, I'll obviously need to get producers and stuff involved. So a lot of the time, when a brand reaches out to me and sometimes I'll do a shoot and everything's already set up and I just literally go there and sort out the lighting and the lighting equipment and the team and stuff and then that's all fine but then sometimes I'll need to do a huge pitch you know sometimes these jobs take three four months and you're pitching and then you're doing more pitches and you're doing a full treatment and if I was to give any other advice as well to anybody listening it would be to use Keynote because Keynote is amazing It's kind of like PowerPoint, but much more easy to use and I think a bit more modern. It's an incredible program and you can literally drag photos in from a website. You can add text, you can move it around. It's so easy. Lots of people say it's sort of like a quick, easier version of InDesign. Obviously, InDesign does so many things that Keynote can't. But if you're making a treatment, if you're making a quick portfolio to send off to somebody, it's so good because you can literally just drag images in, move it around, design it, send it off, which has been really useful when I've been doing pictures and quotes and everything. I use it every day. The mood boards as well. I used to do them on Photoshop and Keynote is just so much easier for doing mood boards. That's something that I would suggest. This is a great tip, actually. It's more (laughs) about the Apple people, because as far as I know, it's available only on Apple devices. 
but it is a great tip. I think they also do it online now as well. Mm -hmm. So I think without Mac, you may still be able to use it online because I've had before and I've accessed it off a Mac, like not on a Mac, on a PC, my boyfriend's computer. If it's the online one, you can access it without a Mac, I think. Awesome. And if you were an Android user, there is Google Docs. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, Google exactly. Slides. There's so many programs out there. Yeah. Yeah. So this is the Android version. And I definitely agree. For a recent project, I used a lot Google Slides and it was just so easy. Okay. So it's similar to Keynote then? Yeah. Oh, amazing. Okay, great. I need to learn how to use that. I have not seen it yet. It's just so easy. It's more of a PowerPoint, but it's easier than PowerPoint, I would say. <laughs> it's okay, funny. Perfect. Because we're good at Photoshop and things like this. Things that mm -hmm. people are usually aiming to learn. And we're like, yeah, PowerPoint is just so complicated. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Do you do your own research? Yes, for some things. I'll do it for all the smaller projects that I'm working on, any personal projects. But when I'm on a campaign, 99% of the time, they will have a retoucher that sometimes the companies have in-house retouchers. Sometimes they have a retoucher that's freelance that they love to work with a lot. Or sometimes if it's supernatural or something else, then I'll do it. But it depends because I can retouch, but I'm not a professional retoucher. Mm -hmm. And my work is a bit more raw. In a lot of ways, it isn't sort of completely raw. I still love to do a little bit of a filter in terms of the color balancing and stuff like that. I love to always make the colors as beautiful as possible. But a lot of the time, I prefer um, a more natural skin and hair. And everyone's different. I, a lot of my friends prefer the more retouched look. And it's actually quite interesting because I feel like there's a huge push at the moment towards the not as retouched look. But then there's also a huge push towards the super retouched look. It's sort of like really interesting right now because there isn't as much that's sort of in the middle and it's sort of more going one way and the other, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. But I think that's incredible because their work can be reflected because there's space for both in the industry that we have at the moment. Oh, I love this. And were you freaked out the first moment a client asked you for your row images? No, I think it's one of those things that I've been doing from the beginning a lot of the time with the testing was showing everyone the raw images. And it's funny because sometimes the raw images look similar to how they're going to end up, obviously, as you know. And sometimes they look so far from how they're going to end up because, you know, we're changing the backdrop color in post or changing this or... And it is hard a lot of the time you have to say to people that, oh, don't worry, you know, this will look different in post. But I feel like when brand been doing it for a long time, people know how the industry works a bit more than they're less worried about it. But often people that are just starting out or sometimes shooting somebody and it's it's them <laughs> that's in the photo and they necessarily haven't done this before, they may freak out and be like, oh my God, like, and they're just like, no, don't worry, this is a simple brightening, just brighten the light or darken the light or whatever. And it's going to look fine, don't worry. But yeah, I know what you mean. Because I think a lot of the times that can be an issue. But it, what's great as well when you get further into it because these days, most of the shoots I have, we have a Digitech. So that's the person that's sitting on the monitor. So I'm sitting, you know, in front of the model with the camera and the camera is on a lead. And then you have the monitor normally to my right. Mm -hmm. And then I can see what I'm shooting but on the monitor, not on the back of the camera, on the monitor. And then behind that is my Digitech, who 
is sitting with the laptop, checking everything's in focus, organizing the file names, everything. And then I'll normally have one or two or three lighting assistants sort of running around and organizing the lighting. So it's great because when you're doing it like that, the Digitech, you can plan out a filter that you put on it immediately. You know, whether that's brightening, darkening, putting a bit of contrast, just making the photo look a bit more like, bam, like Like cool what's going to look at the end. Yeah, what it's yeah. going to look like. Exactly. Without any skin retouching, obviously, but just trying to make it look as close to, yeah, how it would at the end. And you don't have the whole Photoshop to play with. You just have a few different tools when you're doing it on Capture One, for example. But it looks a lot better than the original shot, especially if you're working in a dark environment and the light's a bit gloomy. Mm -hmm. And it's great because then the client sees that and then the client's standing there and they can see it, but with the filter on. So it's you're seeing it live, you're seeing it there. And it's great as well because with the monitor, you can see so big. So if the makeup artist wants to fix, fix a lip line or anything, they just go in and fix it. And then it's the best way of shooting. <laughs> but obviously, it's too high budget to do in an everyday. But it's useful for sure. What I realized a lot of the time was started doing model testing. And then I did some kind of celeb testing, some music testing and stuff, and you know, just shooting musicians and stuff like that. So I guess maybe the first one is when I did a shoot with a musician. But what I learned from very early on, and I learned this from testing, was that if you go through the images and choose the ones that you think are the nicest and then throw a filter on them, that's great. But a lot of the time, they're going to want to see everything, especially when you're just starting out because people don't trust you. Even though they should, they don't. And they're like, oh, I love the ones you chose, but let me just see them anyway. And then they're going to go through all of them and then you're, they're going to see them in more anyway. So what I started to do, which I'm so glad I did at the beginning, was just be like, you know what? You take the hard drive, you choose the images and send them back to me. But what I would often do, just so that they wouldn't get too scared, I guess, by seeing, you know, if it was more gloomy, to do a quick retouch on one of the images and just say, just so you know, this is the before, this is the after. It's going to be edited like this. So when you look through all the raw images, just bear it in mind that with this filter on it, for example you know, this is how it will end up. And I think that sort of softens the blow a bit. If you're in a situation where the lighting is different to how it will end up when you're going to retouch it. I think we should mention that in situations when you're doing tests, you're sending the photos to the booker and not to the model, right? Yeah. If the booker's booked the shoot, I'll send it to the booker. If the model's booked it, mm -hmm. I'll send it to the model. Yeah, sure. The other issue is that with model agencies, they often don't have enough time to go through a thousand images. Yeah. So sometimes you will have to go through, you know, and what I'll do sometimes is I'll select the best sort of hundred, for example, and then let them choose from there, which does take a lot of time. But then at least you're not, you know, editing 50. Because what I started doing when I wanted to please everyone, so I'd edit literally 150 photos per test. Oh. And I look back on that now and I'm like, what was I doing? I did not need to do that. <laughs> like, I could have just thrown a filter on them or whatever. But no, I just wanted to perfectly retouch 150 images, which is just crazy. But yeah, I look back on that now. And at the time, I didn't even know what actions were. So I was doing it all like manually. Oh, no. I know. <laughs> That's a huge test, actually. Whenever I do tests, I usually send 10 to 12 images and I'm done. Yeah, everyone does it differently. And I feel like... There were some pros and some cons to how I did it, but of definitely course. doing it without the action. So yeah, if I was to tell, if I was to speak to my 21-year-old self again, who had just gone freelance, I would say, learn what actions are, learn what file automate batches, take your favorite 100 images, 
throw a filter on them, you know, do the file automate backwards with the action. So it just does it all and it automatically saves in a new folder and then send that to the agency and then let the agency choose from there. And yeah, everyone does it differently. And sometimes you choose ones and the agency's happy. Sometimes they're like, oh, we want more full lengths or we want more headshots or we want more with the head down and then you're going to have to edit more. So it depends on the situation, but time yourself or something and just find the most time efficient way <laughs> of doing it because I spent way too much time and I should not have done that. Were you ever in a situation where, for example, you shoot a big campaign for a client, you're done with a photo shoot, you send all the untouched row images and another person is retouching them and you were like, whoa, what happened here? Maybe it was a great surprise. Maybe it was not. I bet you cannot wait to hear the answer of this question. But you have to wait until the next Wednesday when we'll be here with part two of our podcast with Hannah. And in case you miss us a lot, you can simply jump to photographypodcast.net and listen to our previous episodes, or maybe you have listened to all of them already. Well then, you're welcome to join our Facebook group called Fashion Photography Lovers. Thank you guys so much for being with us today, and I'll see you again on Friday. <laughs>